So let me ask you, how smart are you? I no, no, no. That's not the question. It's a different and better question. How are you smart? Ah, let's talk about that in today's episode of The Buyer's Mind. Welcome to The Buyer's Mind, where we take a closer look deep inside your customer's decision-making mechanism to reverse engineer the perfect sales presentation. Now, please welcome your host, Jeff Shore. Well, welcome everyone once again to The Buyer's Mind. I am your host, Jeff Shore, and we're here on a special episode to be able to bring back our very, very first guest, the great Scott Halford. Uh, Murph, I know you listened to that first episode not that long ago. Paul Murphy, our show producer, uh, is so fascinating. You, you looking forward to the conversation? I am. And to think about, uh, you know, what's happened in the time since we talked to Scott last time and find out if there's been any changes. Absolutely. Well, listen, it's a great interview. I think you're going to enjoy it very, very much. Get ready to get your mind blown in our interview with Scott Halford. Well, I'm thrilled to welcome back to the show, Scott Halford. We had such a great time. You know, when we started the uh, the buyer's mind, uh, Murph, how long ago did we start the buyer's mind? It's It's been a little while now. It is now two years there you since go. we've started The Buyer's Mind. There you Happy go. Happy anniversary. How about that? How about that? So two years ago, and I remember looking at it and going, okay, well, where do I start? Right? Who do, who do I want to bring on first? What subject matter do I want to bring in first? And I thought, let's just go right to where it all happens. Let's go right into the brain. And I had just read recently at that time, uh, Scott Halford's a most amazing book, Activate Your Brain. Totally loved it. It was right up our alley. So we brought him on first and we've gotten so much great feedback on that conversation because it's, it's, it's a fascinating subject matter. It really is. But because Scott's just a really, really good guy, we thought, well, why not? Our two year anniversary, we'll bring him back and please welcome Scott Halford. Scott, how you doing, sir? Oh, sorry. That, uh, we're on. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I'm doing great. We're apparently. on. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it sounds so exciting. I, I really appreciate being back. It's really, really, you guys, Congratulations! Two years. Uh, it's been it's been great. The podcast continues to grow, and we thank you for your contribution because right from the very beginning, you started it off on the on the right foot. Uh, and uh, you've been really really busy over the last couple of years. The book, of course, activate your brain, a huge hit. It's just such a great read, and uh, it's got you hopping. In fact, uh, I, I, we were talking offline. You are heading to India tomorrow at the time of this recording. Uh, how are you feeling about that? I'm excited. You know, it's it's such a different yeah. world than we live in. So I can't wait to yeah. have all of my senses like reawakened in some way or another. I'm sure. Sure. I look out right. For, Absolutely. For the water and the, some of the, the things there. But you know what the heck? What is travel without a, a few a few little uh, things that you have to be scared of? That's how you keep your brain ticking and alive. That's right. Yeah, and I always remind myself when I'm in foreign places uh, that where I'm where I'm sort of a little bit at sea and uh, I'm trying to get it figured. I just remind myself, dumber people than me that have figured it out. Dumber people than me have figured this out, and that sort of gets me by. Uh, let, let's just reset here, Scott. For those who have not heard uh, episode number one of the Buyer's Mind, where you shone so brightly at that point, uh, tell us a little bit about what you do. What is the the cocktail party version of? So, what do you do? I basically help people figure out if they've lost their mind or not. No, that's what I say. Cocktail parties, <laughs> but I didn't say to, to, yeah. to uh, executives is that my work is to help people understand how to be exceptional and perform at, 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 at peak levels through the lens of neuroscience. 
So if we look at it, we say, if you understand the way that the dots get connected inside your brain, you can really understand yourself well. And then as you understand yourself well, then you have a better chance of having an impact on the world around you. Is that overstating it? Not overstating it at all. It's exactly correct. I, I think when people understand the inner workings, they have ahas. They, they, they realize, wow, that's why this has been so hard because I'm w working against my, my brain's natural inclination. And many of the things we do fall into that category. And so when you understand how it works, and you are more brain friendly, things get a little easier. And you have the opportunity to be able to talk about this. You are absolutely uh, one of the most uh, dominant speakers out there today, working with audiences, uh, a lot of different audiences, right? Your, your audience base is really broad because everybody has to use their brain. So you got this great opportunity. Is there one thing, if it could, I, I know I'm going to put you on the spot here, Scott, but is there one thing that you could look at and you can say, here's a, a key takeaway that people really, really see? seem to grasp onto more than anything else when I'm out there on the road uh, delivering a keynote speech? Yeah, you know, <clears throat> it, it, it really boils down to some very basic things that, that surprise them. And so it's not, it's, it's always say it's not rocket science, it's brain science. The, the, the fact is, is yeah. that doing simple things consistently will make all of the difference in the health of your brain, like sleep, the way that you eat, the way that you hydrate, and the way that you rest, rest while you're awake. Those things, very simple, my mom, your mom, everybody's mom taught us about those, but most of us don't do it consistently or as well as we need to do. And we don't do it with any kind of education about, well, how much is too much and how much is too little. So it's understanding those things. Mm -hmm. Really the very basics consistently. Yeah. Basics consistently, yeah. Yeah. So it's a topic uh, that, that you would label as uh, a brain health, I guess, to, to some extent. Uh, so now, I, I, just in case somebody in the audience is wondering uh, the answer to the question, how difficult is it for you to uh, continue to take your own medicine? Uh, is this something that you look, you study this stuff, you teach this stuff, but how much do you think about your own, about Scott Halford's brain health? I think about it a lot. I, you know, I, 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 at first thought I should start out with a strategy of using myself as everything not to do so that I wouldn't have to change. And that, that didn't work. So <laughs> then I think, then I, think uh, I basically put it on my radar screen every day. My, it's a great question because it's actually one of my, my, my major pushes is for people to have what I call a toothbrush moment with their brain. One of those things that you just never skip and you do it consistently every day. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't matter what you pick. If you pick one thing, you're going to eventually have a domino effect into a second and a third and fourth. And um, so for mm -hmm. me, to answer your question, I am a mere mortal. And so if I did everything I talked about, I'm not sure I would be um, very approachable because I would be the all-knowing, right? Kind of thing. But um, <laughs> it, it really is one of those things. You just put it, you, you, you have to remember as we are, are journeying through life, we're all unfinished human beings and we'll always be that. And the, that's, Mm -hmm. Right there is a beautiful thing. So continuing to yeah. learn and con con continually having to pay attention to it makes me a student as well. And I, I, I appreciate students then. Uh, you know, it is uh, interesting when we look at the idea of doing those simple things consistently, and yet that can be very difficult. So talk a little bit about it from the perspective of how the brain works. Why does the brain struggle to do things 
that we we know we're good. Let's take some. You, you mentioned uh, uh, you know the toothbrush woman. Let's look at something like flossing. Everybody knows you're supposed to floss. Everybody knows you're supposed to floss every day. Everybody knows it's good for your your teeth and your gums and your uh, even maybe there might even be a connection to heart disease as, as some would suggest. And yet, why do people struggle flossing? It, it, I know it's good for me. Why would I not do it? It's a great question. You know, it, and, and with an example like flossing, it's even a better question because if you ask like smoking, you shouldn't smoke. Well, there's an addictive nature to it. And so why, why they do it is, is very evident, you know, with the addiction. But with things that are good for you that, that don't have an addictive nature, we oftentimes don't look at things as possibly addictive. And they are saving money, uh, creating a habit, a routine. Those are all you're doing is addicting to something you choose that actually works for you. And so mm-hmm. flossing your teeth has a, is, is, is filled with all kinds of excuses, and I used to have them, and all kinds of other mm-hmm. reasoning why we don't do it. Uh, but the, the mere fact is, and th- at least in my opinion, is when I look at cleaning my office out and I look at the whole thing, I don't do it because, even though I know it's actually better for the brain to have a cleaner office, I don't do it because I see this office, this big, dirty office, and that it's going to take, I don't know what I catastrophize it to, but it's not going to take the time that it does. So what I ended up beginning to do so that flossing my teeth and cleaning my office and doing things like that became more of a habit, I began to time myself into actually doing it. You know how long my office took that I thought it would probably take two or three weeks of multiple attempts? It took an hour and 15 minutes to actually clean it and put things where they belong, not just shoving them the drawers. Mm-hmm. So we, we over amplify right. the things that we think we don't want to do because they are a danger and danger gets amplified by cortisol. And so I think, you know, people just for whatever reason, don't think they should, should floss or put sunscreen on, right? All those things. It's um, mm-hmm. not a part of their, it's not a part of their routine. So let's put that in the language of our audience here, dominantly sales uh, related. So if we take a we, we take one particular activity that sales professionals uh, are called to do, and that is some form of outbound call generation. So so I've got a I've got a stack of leads here that I need to call. These are people that I've talked to in the past. I need to reach out to them. And then we get into that moment, and there is just that. Oh no, that uh, man! Uh, what I don't want to do. Th-. And then suddenly, there are a thousand other things that I need to do. Right? There's this important document that needs to be processed over here, and and uh, of course, you know, somebody could have updated the most fascinating post ever on Facebook. So I got to check that. What? Tell me what's going on in in the brain, and especially as it relates to how our brain takes discomfort and somehow magically turns it into some sort of threat. Well, yeah, it's, you know, the things that we don't want to do, those lists are long, right? And I think mm-hmm. when people look at all of the things that they're, that they're tasked with, they, we want to get, we want to get check marks every day. The brain is really a completion machine. Its goal is to get done off of a list. What you tell it, it is important. I think what happens with people when they don't do their cold calls or warm calls or their outbound marketing I think what happens is they don't actually become very explicit about it. I think they just expect, mm-hmm. you know, we, we don't put call mom on our, on our to-do sheet every day because we just know we're going to mm-hmm. do it, right? And I think when you take something mm-hmm. that can, can be as contentious or reject-filled, rejection-filled or all the things that go with uh, making those, those calls and, and kind of put it on the, the, the mental task list that says, well, I'm going to do it anyway. I'm not going to be explicit about it. 
I think what we're telling the mm-hmm. brain is that it's not really a, a serious part of the checklist today. If you tell it that it's a serious part, what ends up happening is the brain will actually make you feel incredibly guilty throughout the day if you're not going after those checklists, so, uh, those, the, the things that you want to check off. <clears throat> the other thing is that people, again, catastrophize. They look at mm-hmm. a set of calls. They look at, gosh, you know, I, do, I, I need to do 100 calls this week. And they look at it and they see the calls as 100 as opposed to one this hour or two this hour or three mm-hmm. this hour, right? Mm-hmm. Breaking it down into simple bits and then timing yourself. That, again, has proven to be something that takes people out of the arguments that they give to themselves and go, oh, wow, you know, that, <clears throat> that call that I made actually only lasted four minutes and I actually covered a lot mm-hmm. of ground. And they begin to see it forward process and progress as opposed to this one big kludgy thing that they can't articulate. Brain hates not being Mm -hmm. articulated to. It needs to be told what to do. So put it on the list. You've mentioned the idea of catastrophizing a couple of times here, and we could look at that in a number of different ways. We could look at it for a salesperson who is really looking for what's the worst possible thing that can happen, even though uh, it's probably not right. So I look and I say, well, if I'm if I'm too assertive, even if I believe that this product or service is right for this prospect that I'm talking to, but if I'm too assertive, I could offend them, and then they'll yell at me, and then hit me in the face, and then kidnap my children, and 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 my my then my wife would never speak to me again. And we look at it, we go, this is just plain silly. And yet the brain defaults there so quickly. Why? Why does the brain want to catastrophize? It doesn't want to. The darn thing just didn't grow up. You know, it didn't grow up. It, 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 <laughs> it, 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 it basically stood back there. When we were coming out of the caves, the, the architecture that formed then is relatively the same architecture we have now. And so what happened because we grew the human part of the brain, the part that's smart, that thing grew and it mm-hmm. actually began to become smarter than the actual architecture. So what happened is that we didn't evolve our architecture. Everything is a huge, huge, big deal, right? Everything is a big deal. One is really not. And the, we, mm-hmm. we, we, can, we can be a cognitive species and think things through really rationally. And you can see how sometimes people's emotions take them over, whereas the rational, the part of our brain that's talking us out of the out of the, the rafters is constantly saying, no, really, emotional brain, it's not that big of a deal. You, 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 you are going to survive this. You're not going to die from it. And actually, you'll probably be better from it. But the brain sees danger, and that's all it sees. And when it sees danger, it, it definitely has some kind of, of qualitative measure on it about how dangerous is it. But danger is danger, and it's going to have just a few flavors in terms of the brain. So when you see something as a big deal, it's a big deal. It's just, you know, if you think that the worst thing in, in, in the moment that is happening right now is the fact that your screen door is broken, then that is exactly, your brain will set you up to, to go to go to battle. It'll look like you're fighting tigers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I love the Daniel Kahneman quote that nothing is ever as important as we think it is while we're thinking about it. <laughs> it's so true. It is so true. Right? Yeah. Right? Yeah. So if we want to fight our own catastrophizing brain, it seems to me that we could look at it and say, well, how do I want to handle that? But maybe a better question is, when do I want to handle that? Because if we wait until we're in that moment of discomfort to make a decision, we're probably going to yield to our our uh, uh, that threat sensitivity where our brain is saying, hey, my job is to keep you alive, and so you should run. Whereas if I handle that and face it before I face the threat, 
I mean, this is the fundamentals of cognitive behavioral therapy, right? If I handle that before I face the threat, then I've got the chance to be able to make it a, a much more reasoned um, a decision apart from the emotion of the moment. Well, yeah, exactly. If you if you give your brain context for what it's about to go into, so you go into a scary movie and t- tell your brain it's going to be scary, then it's not such a surprise to your brain when it gets scared. Mm-hmm. Same thing with, sure. with, you know, with phone calls or difficult things or things that we each separately deem to be, you know, the thing we don't like to do. And so the more that you buy into the story that the brain, that the emotional brain wants to tell you, the more you'll just put it off. But if you allow yourself to say, hey, you know what? It's actually not that bad. I timed it. It only takes four minutes. It's not that bad. Others have survived it. I will too. You pick up the phone and you mm-hmm. go and you change the storyline and you override that emotional yeah. center that says, no, I just want to feel bad. You're overriding it with the, the, the adult brain, you know, the human brain and saying it's, it's really not as bad as the kids are telling you. And I, I, that's how I look right, at it. It right. probably should not. It's simplification. But the, the human brain is kind of the parent and the, that midbrain that is really very emotional is like a four year old just go, no, I want to do it my way which is never, mm-hmm. where I'm never going to go to work. I'm going to be on the playground all the time. We're talking to Scott Halford, the author of the book, Activate Your Brain. Uh, for those of you who are like, do I really want to write, read a book about how the brain works and all of its details? Uh, yes. And you want to read this book because it is so approachable. It is so, I just found as I was reading the book, there were so many notes that I were taking in the margin this was a fun book to read. Normally you read a book about brain science and you're going to go, oh, yikes, I can't, I don't even know these terms. Who are they trying to uh, impress? But Activate Your Brain was just a, a really fun book to read and it really taught me a lot about myself. You can, of course, pick that up on uh, Amazon.com or click through on the link in Scott's uh, webpage. Uh, Scott, let's talk about, uh, about emotional intelligence. Uh, this is uh, something that you are an expert in. Give us a little bit of the background of emotional intelligence uh, it's it's a relatively new phrase, if not a new concept, uh, but it has really uh, been uh, something that has been expanded upon and uh, and and much more fully understood over the course of the last uh, few decades. Tell us about emotional intelligence. Yeah, it's uh, it, it's such a wonderful thing that it's finally becoming something that doesn't look like a, a flavor of the month topic. It's not. It's got real science behind it. Mm-hmm. Um, we began looking at it actually in the forties. Uh, Wexler, who was in charge of measuring and, and defining IQ for adults, he was the one who basically said, well, okay, we can do this. I, I will help to do it, but we really should be concerned with a person's emotional capabilities because they have as much or more to do with a person's overall success in life and in the workplace. We just don't have a way to measure it. So he basically set up a, a whole safety net called Pandora's box, 1940, 40 years, follow 40,000 people. So in 1980, Pandora's boxes opened up. And what they find is that what high IQ individuals predicted was it predicted the schools they got into, the jobs they were offered, and the salary that they made initially. After that, it was, mm-hmm. repli- it was responsible for about 6% of workplace success. What they found was people with more moderate IQs did something that the people with high IQs did not. Those with the high IQs basically had a huge tendency to derail in life. They lost their jobs, they were demoted, they lost their marriages, suicide and, and depression. And so they were, they were prone to that, whereas more moderate had better sense of well-being and actually better success in the workforce. And it was a set of, the scientists basically came down to, a set of non-cognitive capabilities that actually were something different than the IQ things. 
they were about negotiating the world. It's pretty much the measurement of wisdom, measurement of common sense, measurement of street smarts, the things that you need when you are at your, at, at, in a crisis and, and, and in a difficult spot, um, what do you look like? How do you behave? How are you getting yourself out of this difficult spot? Because we can all be good and lovely and charming when everything's going our way. But what do you look like when it's not? And emotional intelligence helps us to understand that. And it's a set of those, the, the capabilities that are measured by instruments, all kinds of instruments measure it. They measure things like self-awareness and impulse control and assertiveness and interpersonal relationships. I mean, your, your salespeople should be a ringing endorsement for every single attribute that is measured in terms of the things needed in order to interact and to relate to the people they're sitting across from. Total strangers, which is really mm -hmm. kind of a really scary thing for the human brain. Total strangers. You know, it's funny. I, I've met so many sales professionals over the years, uh, and some of them I would look at it and say, this person is scary smart it, when it comes to the breadth of knowledge and the things that they can talk about where I'm like, I'm sorry, but I, I'm not, I can't handle a conversation with you. I, you're, you're losing me over and over again. And they're not selling. And then I look at somebody over here and I don't want to call them dumb, but let's just suppose you uh, that we could come up with some sort of euphemism for the fact that they didn't exactly pay attention in their science class. Uh, I'm not sure what that looks like. And yet they can sell like there's no tomorrow. And, and I find that interesting because when you look at things like self-awareness, like impulse control, uh, street smarts, you know, the, the measurement of their common sense, those types of things. It does make all the difference in the world. I do not consider myself to be the smartest guy by a lot. In fact, quite frankly, I have insecurities about that. When I get to people who are clearly uh, possess a higher IQ than I have, I have a difficult time often in that environment. But I also know that if there was a uh, something that I think that I, I maybe I'm wrong, maybe this is a sign of weak emotional intelligence, but for my own self-awareness, uh, I think I'm really good on my feet. I, I think I can size something up very, very quickly. And my short, I think my short-term problem-solving skills are very, very strong. And so from that perspective, it's still intelligence, but it's a completely different type of intelligence than what we normally call intelligence, yes? Yeah, exactly. The bottom line to every one of the attributes, for instance, like problem solving. You know, problem solving has some IQ basis in it. That, you know, can I add things up and put them together and come out with a solution? But when you measure emotional intelligence, what it adds into it is how are you collecting the data? How are you verifying it? Mm -hmm. how, do you, how do you deem to be credible the source who's sitting across from you, which takes a huge amount of emotional intelligence? And so... When you look at, at, at EI, and people interchange EI and EQ, same thing. When, when we look at what it does, it is the social grease that is so important. And if you don't think social grease is important, there is a statistic out there that folks who are really, really genius about this at, at MIT basically said that 75% that of the rules that are driving your behavior and your, how you interact at work are not written down. Only 25% of how you should be at work are written down. And, and it doesn't really matter if you're a solo person or in a, a large corporation. What it means is that the vast majority of how you go about in the world is social grief. It's not written down. It's kind of what is expected. And if you aren't paying attention to your environment, you won't pick up on what is expected. And so you'll be against the social mm -hmm. norm. Um, and so, you know, salespeople have to be in shifting 
cultures and shifting, you know, environments constantly. So being extremely empathetic and extremely aware is going to be like a major part of making them successful. So problem solving would be a big piece too, but the bigger pieces are going to be stressing out your environment, you know, making it feel as if you are acting in their obvious behest, you know, in their, in the, to, the, to the benefit of the client and not to the benefit solely of you. Well, doing things that create trust, which is kind of the bottom line of everything that we do, doing things that create trust are all basically driven by emotional intelligence attributes. One thing you mentioned that I wanted just to ask you to expand upon just a little bit, you mentioned impulse control. Uh, Can you uh, chat about that just a little bit, especially as it might pertain to a salesperson? Where, Where could a lack of impulse control get them into trouble? How could it help them? Yeah, you know, that's funny that you actually pick up on that because it's it absolutely is one of the examples that I use when I'm I'm teaching people about emotional intelligence that they oftentimes think higher scores are better scores. That's not the case. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't want, you know, somebody who is selling cars today and need, you need, you know, today's sales kind of thing, short-term sales, you don't want a high, high impulse control in that person. You want, you want it to not be so low that it, it's uh, bad for them, but you want them to kind of mm-hmm. feel urgent all the time. People with pipeline mm-hmm. sales that are two years, three years long, you want higher impulse control where they can wait, they can take their time and they can be p- patient and not have to, to kind of jump right in. So it's a, it's a great mm-hmm. example of, of how you really want to take a look at the career that you're in. If you're in sales, uh, you want to make sure that you look at the more interpersonal skills like communicating awareness, empathy, you know, understanding what is sitting across from you, assertiveness, without empathy and without impulse control creates just the biggest jerk in the whole world. So high score and assertiveness mm-hmm. is not necessarily a great thing at that point. You need higher, you need sure. to have those high scores and impulse control and empathy scores to at least match so that you're not lopsided and become out of the social norm. Uh, I, I don't, uh, I don't, I don't want to put words in your mouth here, but I'm, I'm thinking that if I'm a sales manager and I've got to hire a salesperson, then if I can, Gauge their emotional intelligence uh, and understand how that manifests in that individual in front of me. That might be the single most important thing that I could do in making a hiring decision. I think I think so. I mean, if you look at things like the Navy SEALs or the Marines or even the Army, they'll use recruiting. You know, recruiting opportunities. They'll measure certain people for. Uh, with the EQI, same with you know, the, the, the show Survivor. You know, they wanted to, to get a mixed bag so they make sure they get people with low emotional intelligence scores because we wanted to fight, right, kind of thing. So you can actually make <laughs> predictive, yeah, you can make predictive teams, um, relatively predictive teams by measuring them. It's not the only score that defines a person, but, um, but it gives you a lot of information about how a person's going to go, especially in a crisis. How are they going to be when it's tough? How are they going to be at the end of the quarter when you are trying to get those last pieces of the, the, the last SOW in, the, the, the last purchase order in, the last whatever you're trying to get in, you're up against the wall and, and your sales manager is coming down on you really hard. What do you do? You know, what do you do in that moment? And there are a lot of different avenues. Emotional intelligence hopefully takes you down the one that is going to be most productive. And it's not always the one that's most expedient. That's the thing to pay attention to. So fascinating. Hey, before we wrap it up, uh, on your website, scotthalford.com, and we'll put that uh, down in the show notes, 
Uh, as, as I was, as I bounced onto your site recently, and I was looking at all the tabs, and you have all the tabs you're supposed to have, right? Home, about, books, blog, keynotes, you know, all those things people want. And then there's a tab called music. So uh, I said, we, what, 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 what? Give us the uh, backstory here, please. Oh, yeah. That's funny that you found that. I, I, I don't ever talk about it, so I don't know how many people ever find it. Um, when I was growing up, I, I uh, had a little bunny rabbit. The bunny rabbit got basically mangled by the neighborhood German shepherd. My parents knew I was upset. I cried and cried. So they bought me a little, little teeny little organ. And every time I would go upstairs and, and uh, be in trouble, I'd have to go to my room. And there was my little teeny organ. And I taught myself how to play Christmas carols and things like that. So I grew up playing the piano untrained. And all my friends kept saying I should make an album. So I did. And it's called um, The Make-Believe Musician, <laughs> which is, is just so funny to me. And it's, um, it's music that my mother describes. She would say, I love your music. It's so incredibly beautiful. I love that album. I never make it past the first song before I fall asleep. It's just the funniest backhand compliment that you, <laughs> you, that you have. So I warn people, if you, if you go there, it's free. You go there and listen to it. Um, you know, do not be operating yeah. heavy equipment because it's, it's real uh, new agey. <laughs> big, big motion picture stuff. But. All right. So, uh, so here, you, here you go. At, at the risk of having our own audience fall asleep, uh, a few seconds right now from Scott Halford. All right, there you go. The the, the multi-talented Scott Halford. Before we let you go, I got to put you on the hot seat. Rapid fire questions, rapid fire answers. You ready? Do it, do it. All right. Your very first job was what? Pizza, making pizza. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, an album from your youth that you listened to over and over again. Um, here comes the sun. Da -na -na -na. Of course, of course, sure, absolutely. Uh, the most beautiful place you've ever stood. Wow. Uh, I would say oh, the Grand Canyon, looking over the the, the the ridge of the Grand Canyon. Yep, yep, yep. 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 Love it. Uh, a book you read early in life that made a profound impact on the rest of your life. Where the Red Fern Grows. <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, a movie you've seen multiple times, but you can't help it when it comes on. You just have to watch it again. This is embarrassing. <laughs> Titanic. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. And finally, uh, your first celebrity crush. Oh, my gosh. Um, uh, Goldie Hawn used to just capture my imagination. Uh, I love it. Yeah. That's awesome. That's great. That's great. All right. You're off the hot seat. All right, Scott, I can't thank you enough. Uh, you've outdone yourself. Uh, I appreciate your initial contribution. Appreciate you doing this again. Just such a great conversation. And I just want to encourage everybody. Uh, you can go to scotthelford.com to learn more. Uh, you can go to Amazon and buy the book, Activate Your Brain. You will not be sorry. You're going to love this book. Uh, thank you, Scott, for being on the buyer's mind. You're welcome. It's great to be here.
All right, Murph, there you go. Boy, I got to tell you what, just so much to unpack right there. Every time I talk to Scott, I feel like I, I walk away with not just so much that I learned, but so much more I can think about, right? Absolutely. And uh, to get into the whole idea of IQ versus EQ was really fascinating. Mm-hmm. And I don't know about you, Murph, but I really do find myself at times when I'm talking to people who are just extremely intelligent, uh, but I get confused. And I think some of the reasons, it's not just that I can't hang with their intelligence, but sometimes I think it's the fact that they lack emotional intelligence to go along with their, you know, their, their data and their, 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 their smarts and everything. So, so they're having a hard time communicating with me. Did, I don't know. Did that make sense? It does make sense. Uh, I, I just saw a video recently on YouTube talking about the smartest man in the world and uh, what you'd be amazed at what he does. And yeah, he, he doesn't do much, uh, even though he's, he's, <laughs> he's brilliant. Uh, but, uh, yeah. because he never got the emotional, uh, kind of support as a kid, uh, parents went through mm-hmm. a divorce, uh, they were very in poverty and all kinds of things that he missed out on. And so as a result, He's just kind of an average worker guy who solves math problems at night. And look, so we don't want to send the message here that we have some sort of anti-intellectual approach to this or, or that, uh, you know, we don't appreciate those who have very high IQs. But I think what Scott Halford said was really, really important. And that is that emotional capability has a lot more to do with success than intellectual capability. I think that that is the, the key here. And obviously, you know, we've got both. Well, then we get the best of both worlds when, when we're when we have those smarts, but we've also got that street smarts and the common sense. Uh, I did think it was really interesting to look at the the subject of um, impulse control in particular to think about how much do I need to jump into this conversation. And as a salesperson, that's something that I, I've I got to warn you about because I had to warn me about as a salesperson, and I still have to sell. I I sell my business. I sell my keynote speeches. Right. I'm trying to persuade. Wade people. That's what we do in sales. But there are times when I want to jump in. I want so much to jump in and say something absolutely brilliant. So I'm talking to somebody while they're talking. I am saying to myself, you know, when you shut up, I've got something really powerful to say. This is going to rock your world. And of course, when I'm doing that, I'm only thinking about me and I'm not thinking about them. That impulse control is something that we have to be very, very careful about because otherwise it becomes uh, me being the star of the show. And I'm not the star of the show. My client is the star of the show. I have to keep that in mind. It's so very, very critical. Uh, but I'm just looking at the ideas of impulse control and self-awareness and uh, common sense and street smarts as being so critical. And so I'm just going to suggest you here. Uh, first of all, I will tell you, Scott Halford talks about these things in Activate Your Brain. But you can also go back to Daniel Goldman's book, Emotional Intelligence, for a, a thorough, thorough uh, exercise. Uh, I will if, if you go to Scott halford.com you are going to find out how you can learn more about this and I, I would recommend that you do it so there you go just so great having scott on once again on our two-year anniversary and so now murphy just throw it back to you for a moment can you even believe it uh, two years we we made it we made it to two years two years and uh you know i think if we try to uh you know give them a run for our money bill Kasky and uh, brian neal who have been uh, doing this for over five years <laughs> i think uh, i think we could be in the running to uh, outdo them. 
All right. That's, we'll have to knock them off first because they just keep cranking them out and they do a great job. They really do. But I do look at it and say, uh, I, I feel like we're just getting started. For one thing, and this is really for all of you who are listening right now, thank you so much for subscribing, for listening faithfully, for leaving reviews, and most importantly, for telling other people because our numbers are growing bigger and bigger and bigger every month. Just thousands and thousands of downloads uh, uh, every month. We're, we're in the five figures now for our monthly downloads and it is because of you the number of people that are listening to the buyer's mind and uh, I just I want to say thank you so much uh, and it, when I'm out on the road and I hear the comments and and people say things like oh the only thing I wish is that you would do them more frequently than once a week and say hi to Murph for me and it is it is it just does my heart good to know uh, that the podcast is growing that it's that it's that it's meeting a need and that it's helping you to be more successful and I also just want to uh, have a shout out here uh, to my good friend on our show producer Paul Murphy who uh, you don't all you all uh, listening right now you don't get to see what happens behind the scenes uh, the amount of coordination that goes into it the technical issues that we're often left scrambling to try and figure out at the last minute the editing that takes part there are times in the middle of it I'll say something I'll go that was a dumb thing to say Murph you got to go back you got to edit that out right there because it didn't make any sense and Murph is just calm and cool and consistently putting together a really really great show so I just want to say publicly uh paul murphy uh thank you for all you do for the buyer's mind thank you and again i agree with you thank you to our audience for making uh us such a success and for uh continuing to uh listen to the podcast thank you all right so to everybody you know what you have to do out there uh right now murph say it with me on the count of three you know what they have to do they have to three two one go Go change change the the world. world there you go we'll see you next time everybody 